Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash, and you're listening to episode 92 of Chat Disney. So welcome back. We are back this week with our Chinese special episode after our little week off last week as we were very, very busy, but we've managed to find time to record this week. So we will be bringing you our full review of the new live action Mulan movie, as well as talking about all things to do with China and Disney. But before we get into that, let's have a quick look at what has been happening in the world of Disney this week. So after the news that Joe Rohde retired, the famous Disney Imagineer Joe Rohde was retiring, some other exciting news has emerged. Tony Baxter, who is one of my favourite Disney Imagineers and is also retired, has said that he would very willingly come out of retirement to work on a reimagining of Journey into the Imagination with Figment. Tony Baxter is, of course, the Imagineer behind Splash Mountain and Disney have employed him as an advisor on the new Princess and the Frog overlay that coming to that attraction very soon so it's very interesting to hear that he would love to get his hands on the figment attraction at epcot and perhaps we should watch this space there has been an overwhelming amount of disney plus news this week as well i really encourage all of you if you haven't heard about all of these announcements to head over to the d23 website where everything is listed but just to give you a little bit of a snippet as to some of the things that we can expect to see in the future on disney plus we are getting a new reimagining of the Swiss Family Robinson movie. Very, very exciting. Some classics like The Handmaid's Tale have been renewed for another season. We've got a Beauty and the Beast spin-off coming starring Josh Gad and Luke Evans in the roles of Gaston and LeFou. We've got some more Star Wars content coming. Hayden Christensen, who plays Anakin in the prequels, has been confirmed to be reprising the role of Darth Vader in, in the series, which is really, really exciting. There's so much. There's an Ashoka series coming featuring Ashoka Tanu, which is super, super exciting. There's loads of Marvel content coming. We've had more information on Hocus Pocus 2, Another Sister Act, Pinocchio, Peter Pan and Wendy starring Jude Law as Captain Hook. So as I say, there's so much. I would really really encourage you to go and check this out. I'm really excited about Disenchanted, which is a sequel to the Amy Adams movie Enchanted. There's so much content. Go over to D23. Very exciting indeed. This next bit of news is very exciting for me because it's to do with The Muppet Christmas Carol and that is my ultimate favourite Christmas movie. So there was a lost song called When Love Is Gone and it was cut from the original movie because Disney decided that it wasn't very appealing to younger audiences. And then very sadly, that song got lost for many, many years. But it has very, very, very happily now been found and it's being reinstated for all future releases of that movie. So I don't know if we'll see it on Disney Plus. I imagine we will at some point. But yes, very exciting indeed. Absolutely. And a little bit of parks news for you all this week. Disneyland Paris have released a range of vintage Euro Disney merchandise. It's launched on Shop Disney UK for any of our UK-based listeners. So go ahead and take a look at it. Very nice indeed. For anyone that listened 
to the Inside Frozen 2 podcast, talking all about the making of Frozen 2. They have released a new episode, which is focusing all about the music and how the songs have taken on a new meaning for 2020. Robert Lopez and Christian Anderson Lopez are appearing on this podcast to talk all about it, so definitely check it out. Very exciting. And this is probably one of the biggest pieces of news, I think, to come out of this week. I'm so excited. I'm just kind of confused about this. Marvel have announced that they are going to be making a third Spider-Man movie. So this will be the third version of the Tom Holland Spider-Man series. But what's really interesting is that Alfred Molina, who plays Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 3, as in the Tobey Maguire version, will be reprising his role. And Tobey Maguire himself, plus Andrew Garfield of the Amazing Spider-Man movie, and Kirsten Dunst, who plays Mary Jane in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, are all going to be in this film. Now, I don't know what this means yet. I'm imagining some kind of Into the Spider-Verse vibes whereby there's like three different Spider-Men. But I mean, what a star-studded cast and I can't wait to hear what this means. This is quite insane. I'm very, uh, I'm not a Marvel fan as we know, but I'm very intrigued to see what this is going to entail. More Marvel news for you today. For anyone who is on TikTok, make sure you do have a look at Disney Parks' latest release because there was a little video of Groot taking a ride on the new Guardians of the Galaxy coaster, the Cosmic Rewind in Walt Disney World. So definitely check that out. Yes, absolutely. And talking about Walt Disney World, this is super exciting. Hawaiian Airlines have announced that from March 2021, they will be flying direct from Orlando to Honolulu. And why is this exciting? I hear you cry. Well, it means that Disney fans can visit Walt Disney World and then fly direct to the Disney Alorni Resort in Hawaii for the first time ever. I'm very tempted. I never thought I'd get to Hawaii, but now that I know I can fly direct from Orlando, I'm kind of like struggling to find an excuse not to do so. I mean, you'd be crazy not to, right? This is definitely a trip that I'm going to add on to my list of future Disney trips. And it seems that a week doesn't go by at the moment without many, many articles or pieces of news coming out about everyone's favourite, The Mandalorian. This week, Disney have greenlit the prequel and they are now casting. They've announced the characters that they're casting for. So watch this space to see who gets cast in those roles. Very exciting. There's a rumour as well that there's a Boba Fett series coming. So whether or not these are the same project remains to be seen. And final bit of news for you all this week. It is, of course, December. We are well into the festive period. And this is a bit of a surprising one. Tim Allen recently announced in an interview that the original plot of the Santa Claus movie was meant to be a little bit more sinister. His character Scott Calvin in the original script shot Santa off the roof because he thought he was a burglar and that is how he got the title of Santa himself. Wow, I did not know that. No, neither did I and I'm glad that they changed it. I'm not sure how family friendly that version of the movie would have been. And that is pretty much everything that's been happening in the world of Disney this week. We are now going to head into the main part of today episode chatting all about Chinese culture. So Chinese 
today's culture, obviously, this is a topic that I can freely talk about until the cows come home. It's something I feel quite passionately about as I did live in China for three years, but I am by in no means an expert. I lived there for three years. I lived in Shanghai, but I very much only scraped the surface of China. But we thought it would be really interesting to talk about this as it's quite evident from a lot of what Disney are doing at the moment that they are trying to crack the Chinese market and Disney are getting much more of a platform within China. So we thought it was fitting to kind of talk about some of the things today in this episode before we head into talking about our Mulan review. So let's start at the very top. So why not start with probably the most exciting thing to come out of China in relation to Disney in the past few years, Shanghai Disneyland. Absolutely. So Shanghai Disneyland is a really interesting one. And I think it was actually in the Imagineering series that I personally discovered that Hong Kong Disneyland was almost a trial for that park. They wanted to kind of test the appetite of the Chinese. So they put their Hong Kong park in, obviously Hong Kong being more westernized than China. It was a huge success and thus Shanghai Disney was born. So this wasn't just a project that, you know, they worked on short term. This had been in the works for a very long time. And if you've not yet listened to our Shanghai episode, I definitely encourage you to go all the way back to the beginning of the Chat Disney podcast. I think it'll probably be about episode eight or something like that, where we did a full review of the park. But I want to focus today, I guess, when we're chatting about Shanghai Disneyland, about what makes it Chinese, what makes it fit with the Chinese culture and, and why is it different from all of the other Disney parks around the world. So should we start by talking about the Garden of the Twelve Friends, Tash? Yes, let's. So I think before we start talking about the Garden of the Twelve Friends, you have to sort of look at that main hub of Shanghai Disneyland when you go in. And it is the only park that is designed to be like a garden. And Chinese people are very, very into their gardens. This was something that really surprised me when I moved to Shanghai. I kind of imagined it to be kind of like your concrete jungle. But there are a surprising amount of parks and they are kind of the veins of China, I would say. Like they're always full of people, you know, people go to the parks to dance, to play games, to work out outside gyms. There is a lot of life in those parks and these gardens. So it seems only fitting that you know, designing a Disney park for a Chinese audience that they would design it like a garden. And the main bit of the park is actually split into seven gardens and Garden of the Twelve Friends is one of them. So we'll talk about the others in a minute, but let's talk about Garden of the Twelve Friends. So I have to admit, this is something that I was very excited about when they announced Shanghai Disneyland was open because it's completely unique to that park and obviously, you know, fits in so well with Chinese culture. But I was a little bit disappointed with it because it is essentially just really kind of an art, not an archway, like an, an alleyway, like a path that you walk through with some nice mosaics to look at. And that's about it. Yeah, I think that the sort of marketing that came out and the press releases that came out about this definitely built up a lot more excitement. And then when you get there and you see the Garden of the Twelve Friends, it is kind of just a concrete wall, as Tash said. But I love the overall idea. So for those of you that aren't familiar, the Garden of the Twelve Friends is essentially the Zodiac animals. Oh, they're not called Zodiac, are they? Are they called Zodiac? Yeah, Zodiacs. They are called that, yeah. okay. Of the Chinese calendar. So, you know, things like Year of the Monkey, Year of the Rat, but each of the different animals is assigned a Disney character. And I love that. And one of the only bits of merchandise, actually, that I came home with that I 
still have today and use every single day is my Garden of the Twelve Friends keychain. So I am Year of the Sheep or Ram or Lamb or whatever it is. And to visualize this in the Garden of the Twelve Friends, they are represented as the Jolly Holiday Lambs from Mary Poppins. So I have a lovely keychain with those lambs on. And yeah, I guess from like a marketing perspective, it's clever, it's different, it works, but I, I'm with you. It's disappointing when you're there. Yeah, absolutely. So Mercedes, I want to give you a little quiz Ooh. to see if you can name every animal that represents each of, or every character that represents Ooh. each of the animals. Exciting. So it's quite easy for some of them, some of them not so much. They're okay. Obscure. So Year of the Monkey. Abu from Aladdin. Correct. Year of the Pig. Ham from Toy Story. Yeah. Dog. Pluto. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Horse. Oh. Is it Maximus? It is Maximus. Okay. You are right. Year of the Rat. I want to say Remy. It is Remy. Year of the Rooster. Is it, I don't know his name, but is it the Rooster from Robin Hood? Yeah, Alan, Alan Adale. Year of the Tiger. I mean, I want to say Raja. No. Is it not? No. Is it Shere Khan? No. What? Is there? Is it Tigger? It's Tigger. Oh my goodness. I know. I never think of Tigger as being a tiger because he's essentially a toy. Yeah. Um, Okay, here's one. Year of the Ox. I know this one. It's like blue... But I, I, blue the blue ox, or babe something? the blue ox. Yeah, from I think from Home on the Range. I've never seen. No, it's from an old animated series, uh, like an animated short called Paul Bunyan. Ah, yeah, Paul Bunyan is like a Davy Crockett type, like woodcutter person. Oh, okay. I just I saw it and assumed it was Home on the Range. No, I I googled it because I was like, who the hell is that? Oh, there we go sheep we've already said the jolly holiday lambs uh and now it's easy one year of the dragon mushy of course year of the rabbit thumper yeah and year of the snake car car you are correct sorry my dog is deciding if she wants to bark or not in the background so that might pick up a little bit on this episode and there we go you've got all of them nice it's because we're talking about animals yes it is. she, can she wants to take part but yeah, they are, they're very nicely done. And I think, as you say, from marketing, there's some great memorabilia and merchandise that comes from these mosaics. I'm the year of the horse, so Maximus represents me. I would be a little bit disappointed if I was year of the ox or year of the snake, I think. I mean, sheep's a bit tenuous as well, to be fair. But I they're... quite like it, though, because it is tenuous and it's quite niche. Yeah, it's cute, I guess. I mean, I guess you could have Bo Peep's sheep. They're quite ugly. Oh, yeah, they are. That's true. But uh, yeah, so talking about the garden. So that's garden number one. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that Gardens of Imagination, which is the main hub of the park, is split into seven gardens. So you also, again, there's some quite interesting names here. We've also got Melody Garden. There's Romance Garden, Woodland Garden. <laughs> this one, Garden of the Magical Feather. What? <laughs> I mean, can you think what might be in that garden? The Dumbos. The Dumbos, yeah. I didn't know it was called that. <laughs> no, neither did I, to be honest with you. That's fine. Um, Fantasia Garden. I remember Fantasia Garden because there's that gorgeous carousel, and I love this. So, obviously, all of the different carousels around Walt Disney World are quite different. So, you've got, like, Prince Charming's Regal Carousel and the Sleeping Beauty Carousel and Arthur's Carousel and da 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 
And this one is all of the gorgeous, like, Pegasus, Centauri-type characters from Fantasia. It's so different to everything else. So, yeah, I like that. And then we have Storybook Castle Garden, which is obviously where you have the Storybook Castle. Lovely. I had no idea there were so many gardens. I feel like I didn't go in all of them. I mean, it's... I feel like they're kind of like sprawl like one to the next like they all kind of join with each other rather than being separate bits that you have to go to explore but yeah it's more just like gardens of imagination is one big kind of like a big circle really and then it's kind of split off into the seven different sections on its own so yeah there we go so completely designed obviously for chinese audiences and it is a beautiful park i mean i don't know what you thought obviously I don't want to talk too much about the negative press that Shanghai Disneyland got when it first opened because we have spoken about that before on this podcast, but I do think it is a really gorgeous park. Yeah, I think talking, like, obviously today's episode is with this kind of Chinese lens, and I was disappointed by how Western it was. I know it's Disneyland, but because they were like, we're not going to have Main Street USA because people in China don't identify that, so we're going to have Mickey Avenue and we're going to have these gardens and da-da-da-da-da. I was hoping it would be, like, super Chinese. And it obviously has Chinese elements. I know that when they were designing it, Tash obviously said that they took into into consideration the love of gardens that Chinese people have. And I know that, like, Feng Shui and stuff like that was considered in terms of, like, what way things would face. But... I was disappointed by... It It just felt like another Disneyland. I know what you mean. Like, you wanted to see more kind of Chinese architecture and stuff, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Which I think is, is kind of lacking. I mean, you do see it in parts. But, yeah, I kind of feel like they missed an opportunity there to make it completely mm. yeah. unique. But then if you are Chinese and you're a mega Disney fan, you want your Disneyland to be like Disneyland, right? You don't want, like, a Chinese building because it's like, well, I can see that every day yeah that's true so it depends on who it's for you know who the audience is for but yeah I mean I I love the elements I think the fact and obviously we're going to be talking about Mulan a lot today but I think the presence of Mulan within that park is also something that's quite different I think the only time I've ever really seen Mulan featured heavily in a Disney park was when I went to Hollywood Studios in 1998 obviously it was called MGM Studios back then and Mulan had just come out and there was a huge Mulan parade with all these amazing floats and there was that learning how to draw Mushu like masterclass which I think they've recycled a lot since then but apart from that I don't really see Mulan featured very heavily in Disney parks and obviously going to Shanghai Disneyland you see her in the I've forgotten what that boat ride is called I was just trying to think of the name before it's like a storybook boat ride thing voyage to the crystal grotto there we are that's the one so we see her in that and then we obviously see her on parade we see her in uh, they probably changed the show now but when i visited it was the golden fantasy fair and she was featured in that so that's something that i think is quite different and obviously a huge nod to chinese culture definitely and i i that's one of my favorite things and like i don't know if it's just my imagination but i do feel that there's a vibe when she comes out in the parade and I feel like it's a real I don't know I feel like you can kind of get a sense of like pride from everyone that you know she is their princess and I think that it's so right that she has a place in that parade I agree and I, I don't know if this is just me but I feel like as a British person 
I feel that when I see like Mary Poppins and she has the kind of British accent. I know that when I was in California last year, my fiance and I were watching the parade and Mary Poppins and Bert came out and there were these lovely little old ladies sitting in front of us in the parade and they'd obviously heard that we were English and they kind of turned to us and were like oh look it's Mary Poppins and you know you kind of have it a little bit with that so I can only imagine you know the only princess really that depicts not just your country but your entire continent at that point like there are no other Asian Disney princesses I guess Jasmine is Middle Eastern but yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I agree with you. I felt that definitely when she came out on parade and her float was the most impressive. Oh, 100%, yeah. And I, I do think with Shanghai Disneyland, there is a real sense of pride about having that park there. And I mean, let's not forget, it is a park of a lot of firsts. Obviously, Storybook Castle is the first castle to represent all the princesses. It's also the first park with the Tron ride. It's going to be the first park to have the Zootopia land. So there are a lot of unique attractions and aspects of that park. I mean, obviously, Walt Disney World is now getting Tron. But I hope that people don't forget that it started in Shanghai. That is its original home. Yeah, I bet they will. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> there are people there are certain people who don't even like like the real Walt Disney World loyalists don't even acknowledge like California. I mean, I don't even get me started on this. Like for me that's just being bitter because you're never gonna go there. Like people that discount Shanghai Disneyland when they've never even been come on like yeah, definitely. that's just you're throwing the toys out of the pram because you probably know that you're probably never gonna go because it is difficult to get a visa as you know you went through the process oh yeah it's very hard to get there but i think it is it's such a great thing i think to be in china now and actually another piece of news i wanted to share was that shanghai disneyland was actually named the best outstanding employer for the whole of China for the fourth God. executive what does that year say? running. <laughs> I don't know. You could look into that. What does that say about you know Chinese companies? I don't know. But there we go. I think that's something that Shanghai Disneyland can be really proud of. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else, Tash, you wanted to touch upon? Obviously talking about Shanghai and kind of Chinese culture and how it embodies it in the park. For me, it was really... Yeah, the gardens and the heavy featuring of, of Mulan that, that really kind of stood out, which as I, I guess, you know, that again, just kind of echoes my point that there's not that much Chinese stuff there. Like, I, I don't know, like the food was one that I was really disappointed with as well, because I love food and I love trying different food. It's one of my favorite things to do when I go away. And like when when I was there, like, it was mostly western food which I was disappointed about and then these weird like hybrid concoctions like that hoisin duck pizza that I wish I'd never eaten and then oh, I was just really disappointed I wanted like noodles and spring rolls and nice Chinese food yeah I mean out of all the parks and I've been to them all the food there is probably the weakest I would definitely say I mean Again, as you know, I'm a vegetarian and there are very few options. I think they are getting a bit better there now, but the food is definitely an area that it falls down on 100%. I would be kinder and say that I don't think it's any worse than Disneyland Paris. You know how I feel about the food at Disneyland actually, Paris. Actually, this is true. I kind of neglected to think about Disneyland Paris when I said that. And yeah, I would actually I think, say Shanghai is maybe better. Yeah, I think the food in Disneyland Paris as in like Disneyland Paris restaurants, 
that are owned by Disneyland Paris is maybe worse than Shanghai. Or no, better, sorry, better. But because Shanghai has like Wolfgang Park, which you don't have at Disneyland Paris, I feel like it has the edge. And there's like a cheesecake factory and stuff as well. Yeah, like if you go into Disney Town, the Western options that you've got there are very good, I would say. It's just more if you're going wanting kind of a really unique Chinese experience mm-hmm. and having all like this yummy Chinese food yeah. like you're just not going to get it yeah and I would take Wolfgang Puck and Cheesecake Factory over like Annette's and King Ludwig's any day oh same 100% yeah interesting cool so should we move on and talk a little bit more about I guess the first ever sort of semblance of Chinese culture in Disney which was Mulan the animated movie yeah I mean and that's got a very good presence in this episode today so obviously I don't think that either of us would say that Mulan was our favorite Disney princess but when we did our list of you know the ultimate Disney princesses Mulan was joint two with Jasmine obviously Belle was number one and rightfully so but I think we were both quite surprised but actually when it boils down to it she is a fantastic role model she has a great character arc she has a great story I think that she's a brilliant role model as we've just spoken about for Chinese people and not just Chinese people little girls in general and yeah I think the more I think about Mulan it is a fantastic film and actually probably one of my favorite Disney films I would say yeah I would say that Mulan is one of my favorite Disney films too I think that the character of Mushu is excellent I love the ancestors the music's fantastic I love the Stevie Wonder track at the end there's there's nothing really about that film that I dislike. I think that it is a fantastic story. It's epic. I think that, you know, there's a bit of a, not meaning to sound sexist, but a bit of a reputation with Disney films that this film's for a girl or this film's for a boy. And I think that Mulan is a film that can be appreciated by all children, all genders, all ages. It's a universal story about being, you know, misunderstood, misrepresented and being able to kind of, change things and and be the person that you truly were meant to be and I think we can all relate to that I I absolutely love this film yeah I think and again I'm sure we've spoken about this before but the only the only way it falls down in is by having Shangri's love interest at the end it's just very very unnecessary I agree and I I know that if that movie was made now and, and maybe we'll touch upon this when we do our live action review today but I don't think in that animated version that that would have happened if that movie came out today yeah no I think you're right as well I don't think it would yeah so okay interesting who's your favorite character in Mulan Mushu I I really like Mulan as a character and I don't think I realized how much I liked her until we did our ultimate Disney princess list but I do really like her as a character but I do love Mushu I I like Cricky as well I like Cricky I know that he gets a bit of a a rep for being you know just like an annoying pointless other sidekick but I like him yeah I like him too and yeah Mushu's my favorite as well and it's interesting because I always think that I don't like Mushu because Eddie Murphy is not one of my favourite voice actors. I kind of instantly get Donkey from Shrek vibes nowadays, which is disappointing because Mushu came first. But when I actually watch the movie, he's got some fantastic lines, like the, Disana on you, Disana on your cow. 
you know, there's great stuff. The breakfast is happy to see you and it's a smiley face. There are some fantastic lines in that film. As I say, I really like the ancestors. Obviously, the lead ancestor is played by George Takai of Star Trek fame. So you've got some really talented actors in there and some really fantastic writing. I really like the grandmother as well. I think yes. she's such an underrated... I feel like I should have put her in my when, uh, list when we did our underrated characters. I feel like she's great. She's hilarious and she doesn't get nearly enough screen time in that movie if you ask me i love that line at the end would you like to stay for dinner would you like to stay forever <laughs> love her love her and again i love that family dynamic because that's so true again to chinese culture you know like they do live with the grandparents it is very much you know one child two parents grandparents which they do again they change for the new one which i didn't really understand but we'll talk about that when we talk about our review Absolutely. So I guess at the moment we've kind of we've spoken about Mulan obviously released in the 90s and the first kind of waves of movement into that market for Disney. Then obviously came Hong Kong Disneyland, Shanghai Disneyland. And more recently, Pixar started to dabble their toe into the Chinese market as well with their animated short Bao. Now, for those of you that are listening that don't know me personally, I am obsessed, I think is is a good word to use, with bao buns. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I think they're delicious. I think I first discovered bao buns in a restaurant in London called Ping Pong, which is one of my most favourite restaurants. If ever you want to butter me up, give me a voucher for Ping Pong or take me on a date there and I'll be very happy. But yeah, I absolutely love bao buns. And then I really got into them when I was in China as well. So Tash and her husband, Benji, who's her um, boyfriend at the time, or fiance, I can't remember if you're engaged or not. They lived in this apartment and underneath the apartment, there was a convenience store. And this sounds really disgusting, but you know like how in America at 7-Eleven, you have like the slices of pizza on the, the kiosk, which are like $10 or something. And you probably think, who buys that pizza? My fiance buys that pizza. He literally had so much of that pizza when we were in America. So in China, in Shanghai, they had a similar thing, but with bao buns inside. And I used to call them fluffy, fluffy clouds of joy. And they were like these huge steamed bao buns just filled with spinach. They were delicious. And they're probably like the equivalent of like 10p, weren't they? They were so cheap. They honestly were amazing for like a quick on-the-go snack. And there's a lot of weird on-the-go snacks in China. But these are one that I can definitely, or I did get very much on board with. Yeah. If you're coming back, you know, you've had a few drinks after a night out, you want something, a fluffy cloud. Exactly. And that's what happened. I remember we went out a few times when I stayed with you and I'd come like stumbling in through the convenience store on the way to the apartment and get one of those. And I think I got them for breakfast a few times as well. You definitely had a lot of them. I was obsessed. So anyway, why am I talking about bao buns and my love of bao buns? I am, of course, referring to the Pixar short Bao and Bao came out not that long ago actually and it was quite a controversial piece because obviously you've got this lovely story of this Chinese mother she's creating Bao Bun dumplings and then one of course becomes her child and she sort of has this relationship with him watches him grow is very overprotective doesn't want him to get injured playing sport kind of you know we follow him through adolescence and then he wants to get married he wants to move out she gets angry and she eats him and the moment in which this mother eats the dumpling I think in western audiences was was very shocking and very surprising but I have read so many reviews and forums and tweets and blog posts about this short 
from Chinese people, from Chinese American people that have Chinese parents, and they all get it completely. And they say that that depiction is so representative of the mother-child relationship, and especially the mother-son relationship in Asia. And it is this real notion of, if I cannot have you, then no, nobody will. And I, I will consume you. Like, that's how much I love you. And my very good friend, Jamie, is from Korea. And she also, I, I showed it to her actually for the first time in lockdown this year for very long-winded reasons that I can't be bothered to go into. Her and my baby godson had to live with us for a period of time during lockdown and she hadn't seen it. And I say that my godson looks like a bow bun. So I wanted her to watch it and she got it as well. And she said, this isn't just a Chinese thing. This is a Asian mother son relationship. And the short was directed by a female American Chinese director. So I think that the fact that you know, this insight is so clearly represented for these people is not surprising because she obviously knows that relationship really well and understands that dynamic. And I think that it might not be the first thing that Disney have done for a Chinese audience, but definitely the one that resonates the most. Yeah, 100%. I remember the first time I watched Belle and I thought it was lovely. I really enjoyed it. And then I remember that moment that she eats him and I was like, what on earth has just happened? But as you say, it does make complete sense and you do see it a lot. And I love that they've kind of been a bit risky with this and they've done something that a lot of people will be a bit, not offended by, but a bit like, that's weird. Like, why did that happen? But I think it's, I think it's a great way of representing Chinese culture. Definitely. And it just gives us more insight as well into the dynamics because I think that that's something that... I really realized being in Shanghai and being at Shanghai Disneyland is you can go to, you know, Orlando, you can go to California, you can go to the different coasts, you can even go to Disneyland Paris, which is, you know, a Western European park. Shanghai culturally is the most different Disney park that I've ever been to. And I think it's really important that people are mindful of that and kind of, I guess, linking back to what you said, Tash, about some of the negative press it wasn't like that when I went and we've spoken about this to death, but you really have to spend time in China before you just find yourself in a Chinese Disney park because yeah, things are going to be different. Some of the toilets are going to be different and some of the queuing is going to seem strange to you, but you're the outsider and you have to embrace the culture because it's their culture. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, you really do. And I think that, you know, as we are seeing, Disney are getting more of uh, premise in China. I mean, we've had Shanghai Disneyland, we've spoken about Bao, we've obviously got Raya and the Last Dragon coming next. And although that's not strictly Chinese, I believe it's a fictional place that's based a lot on Asian culture. I don't know what the name of the place is or if we even know what the name is yet. But yeah, I think it all goes to show that they are, that's a massive market that they've got to tap into. If you think how big Asia is, and I think that it is completely sensical that they are, you know, putting a lot of dedication into getting Asian representations into their movies. Absolutely. So I've actually just Googled and it says that the movie is set a long time ago in the fantasy world of Kumandra, which is obviously a fictional place, which is an ancient Asian town. So it doesn't say 
wear in Asia, but I think that because of the dragons and things, it's safe to assume that this is an East Asian place. And so this is kind of, I think, like the premise is that this was in the past and then the movie is set 500 years later into the future when none of the dragons are in existence. So it kind of gives me Game of Thrones vibes when you think of it like that. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know we've had that very short teaser trailer, haven't we? And there's a lot of kind of martial arts-esque fighting, which again really gives me kind of new live action Mulan vibes as well. So my first thoughts with it is I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm glad that they are doing an animated movie like this. Okay, interesting. So just been doing a bit more research and it's actually more Southeast Asian inspired. So Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, these were the kinds of places that inspired the artists when they were creating Commander. So slightly different, but still the Asian market. And I don't, there's nothing I can think of Disney that, it has a Southeast Asian feel at all. There's not. There's really not. I mean, Asia in general is very much lacking in Disney. I mean, obviously we have Mulan and that's really it. Like you think about places like Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, as we've said, places that are, you know, kind of being mixed together to create this fictional world in Rare and the Last Dragon. And I can't think of a single example where we've ever seen those places before. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think there's like a scene in Singapore in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and that's about it. Clearly you've never been to Singapore. Exactly that. <laughs> Interestingly, I'm, I'm finding this really interesting now. So I'm reading about Rare and the Last Dragon here. The music is going to be composed by, or has been composed by James Newton Howard. And he did the music for Dinosaur Atlantis and Treasure Planet. Now... They're not the best Disney films that I can think of. I'm surprised that they got him back. Slightly disappointed now. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, if you want to hit, why not hire Alan Menken? Yeah, interesting choice. Maybe he's gone away and learned some new skills and he's improved. Yeah, I, I... You know, I I wanted to love this film, but my expectations are quite low. Yeah, I really like the imagery and I love the poster that they've released because I think it's so different for a Disney movie. To me, it doesn't even look like Disney. It looks more like a DreamWorks or something. Mm, Do you know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm very, very intrigued by this movie. Me too. So something else that I wanted to talk about in today's episode, and it's something slightly controversial, is some of the changes that Disney often make when releasing things to Chinese audiences so that the market like it more. And this has come up quite recently. There's been a lot of controversy around John Boyega, who plays Finn in the most recent Star Wars movies, and how his face was basically scaled right back on a poster for one of the Star Wars movies so that he wasn't as much of a focus. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Finn and John Boyega, he is a black actor playing a black character, obviously, in Star Wars. And he was very forthcoming and has actually called Disney out on this and said that I know that black faces are not very present in Chinese film and on Chinese posters, movie posters and things like that. And I know that the reason that Disney made me smaller on this poster in the Chinese market is because they were worried that my presence would put people off this movie and that's not okay. And he's called them out and I think rightfully so. So Tash, I know this is such a difficult question, but when you lived in Shanghai, would you say that was true? Did you see much, you know, diversity in marketing or, or did it look very similar? 
Oh no, it's very, very similar. It's very white, Western, American, very much so. Like, there is an extreme lack of diversity. Wow, that's a shame. Yeah, it is. I, I, and I hope it is something that obviously will improve, but at the moment, they're just not there. No, and I know that obviously the storybook castle in Shanghai Disneyland is representative of all of the Disney princesses, so you do have princesses of colour featured there, so Jasmine, Pocahontas, and obviously Tiana, the only black princess, but I didn't see any of those princesses anywhere else, like for meet and greets or in shows or anything like that, it was always... Meredith, Snow White, Rapunzel. Actually, no, I did see Jasmine. That's not true. I saw Jasmine in a show, but I never saw Tiana. No, you, I, I, yeah, I can't think that you see her anywhere in the park. And I think it's the same for Hong Kong as well, actually. I can't think that when I was there, I saw any representation of any of these princesses. It was very much the blonde, fair skin, you know, traditional princesses that we see a lot more of. Yeah, yeah, that is a real shame. But it was something that I did want to talk about today because I think it's relevant when we're talking about you know Disney adapting for Chinese markets and things like that and I hope that the incident that happened with John Boyega is isolated and that we don't see something like that happen again in the future definitely yeah I mean you saying this just reminds me actually I mean this is not really related to this but someone once told me I think it was when I first moved to Shanghai that there's some kind of rule or or film law I don't know but where for a movie to be released or have like a priority release in China, they either need to feature a Chinese character or they need to have a bit filmed in China. So in, I can't remember which James Bond movie is, but maybe it's Casino Royale. There's a scene where they just randomly, uh, it's randomly filmed in China just so they can have an in, like an easy way for that film to be released. And actually when you think about that, you do notice it a lot in a lot of movies. They'll have like a random Chinese actor and it's so that that film then has an easy way to be released to Chinese audiences. That's really interesting. I've not heard that before, but I did hear something, again, I think it was when I was visiting you in Shanghai about movies being filmed in China because is it in one of the Batman movies, that famous building in Shanghai is featured quite predominantly in it. I think it's meant to be Gotham, isn't it? But they've used some of the buildings in Shanghai. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a lot of films actually that when you look into them, they're filmed in China and you don't even realise it. But then, yeah, that's why apparently. I guess you've got a lot of like different landscapes you've got like the countryside you've got gorgeous beaches there there is a lot of diverse landscapes so I guess if you were filming a movie you would have quite a lot of choice yeah definitely so yeah great so we are now going to move on to the final part of today's episode we're going to be doing a movie review of the new live action Mulan what are you waiting for I don't know something amazing I guess So the live action Mulan, obviously, it was released to Disney Plus a couple of months ago now. There was a £20 or a $30 charge for it. So Mercedes, I know you did see it previously. I waited until it was free after seeing some of the other reviews. So I've just watched it this week. And obviously, there are a lot of significant changes that we knew about. We knew it wasn't going to be a musical. We knew the character of Mewshu was not going to be there we knew from the trailer that it was going to be a much more serious film, almost looking like a kind of Chinese martial arts film rather than a Disney movie. So these were kind of some of my thoughts when I first went into it. 
And I have to say, it's not my favourite live action movie, but I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I would. Interesting. So I absolutely hated it. I've been so excited to do this review. I think that, as Tash said, we wanted to wait for it to be free on Disney Plus so that as many of you as possible could have the opportunity to watch it. We did a poll on Twitter and lots of you told us that you weren't going to pay for it and you were going to wait for the free release. So that's why we're doing the review now. It's been a while since I watched it and I won't be watching it again. So I apologize in advance. These memories are from a little while ago now. But I I agree. I was like Tash. I knew going into it that there wasn't going to be any mooshu. There wasn't going to be any singing. And I had an open mind. I think generally with things I... I want to like it. I don't want to dislike it. But there was absolutely nothing for me to like about this film. I think to call it a live action adaptation of Disney's Mulan is a lie. It's, It's not. It's a retelling of the ancient story of Mulan. It's not linked to that live that that animated classic in any way shape or form you've got some similar characters and, and and a similar narrative but it's so different and as i say this isn't a unique story to disney this is an ancient legend so i just see it as a complete reimagining of that in the same way that there's about 10 different peter pan movies that exist from various different film studios so yeah, I was really disappointed. I I don't want to be super negative, so I'll tell you some things that I liked. So I loved the references to the original animation. So there were things like the instrumental overlay of reflection when they were going into battle. I really enjoyed the part where Mulan or Ping was having food with some of the other soldiers and they were discussing the kind of women that they might date and the lines were from a girl worth fighting for. So she said, oh, you know, what about... A, girl who speaks her mind and the other guy was like what about a girl who cooks chicken beef pork whatever the line is so I appreciated those little nods and the homages to the animated classic but that was just because I was desperate for any kind of link to that film and that that was kind of all we had so yeah I just for me the classic Mulan we spoke about it today already I love that film I, I find it really funny And there was no comedy in this. It was a very serious, straight martial arts film, which I don't want to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there were some, I found there were some comedy elements in it and it seemed like they were very catered for a Chinese audience, like very slapstick, which you do see a lot in China. Like they really, kind of slapstick comedy does really appeal to them. So there's that bit when they go to the matchmaker and the bit with the spider and she puts the kettle over it and it's all the teapot over it and it's completely ridiculous how they react afterwards and again when she first turns up to the camp where they're all training like there was a slapsticky bit there I think so I think there were some kind of humorous bits and my husband Benji he was the one who was like this is so Chinese because it's just not the sort of thing that we would find funny because it was very very ridiculous I agree with you I really really like the nods in terms of the soundtrack and I loved that you know when she left she left the hair clip the same way that she does in the film I loved that but then there were some things that I didn't understand like they sampled a lot of the songs on this obviously reflection you've mentioned on a girl we're fighting for not in terms of the music but with the lines but then when they were doing kind of like the build-up um, scene where they're all training I was like why have they not sampled make a man out of you I was like is it because it's too American I don't know but I feel that that was lacking I would have loved to have heard like a instrumental sample of that maybe the title of the song 
Maybe. Like, from a feminist... Yeah, maybe. ...perspective. But he could have said, come on, men, with all the strength of a great typhoon, like, he could have said something... From yeah, the song. They like, could have done. That song is one of the most iconic things about that movie. And I was the same. I was like, here we go, here we go. And then just nothing. Yeah. I mean, talking about the soundtrack, I I really like the fact that they got Christina Aguilera back to re-record Reflection. And obviously she did the new song as well, Loyal, Brave, True. Really like that. I also like that they got Ifei Lu, who plays Mulan, to do a version of Reflection in Mandarin, which is right at the end of the credits. And I can really see that being at the fireworks show in Shanghai. I think Mm. that would fit so beautifully there. So I quite liked the soundtrack. In terms of the cinematography, I actually did find it quite appealing. I found some of the shots of China beautiful. I liked the camera angles that they used. I thought they were quite different and edgy. But in terms of the actual story, there was a lot that just, it didn't work for me. I mean, you've got that new witch character, which I just didn't really understand I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I may have switched off at a point from this movie, but I didn't really understand what her place was other than putting another strong female into this movie. Obviously, they replaced Mushu, or didn't replace him, but they took him out completely. We've then got that phoenix in. There was just a lot of stuff that didn't really add up for me. And of course, you know, we do have the themes of honour presented a lot throughout the movie, which we have in the animated one as well. And Honour is a massive, massive thing in China. And then we have the whole thing of the chi as well, which I think for a Western audience, we don't really understand chi. So I think when you watch that movie, it does seem quite far-fetched. And why has Mulan suddenly got powers? Why can she suddenly run up a wall and do all of this stuff? And then actually when you look into chi and what it actually means, so Benji tried to explain it to me. It's your connection to earth and the planet and i i don't know but right so this is the thing you lived in china and you don't know so i watched this movie with my korean friend jamie who i mentioned earlier in today's podcast and we had her daughter amber in ohana a couple of weeks ago and i had to pause the film when we were watching it because i was like what is this chi that they're so obsessed with and her and her husband had to explain it to me and honestly they were struggling to explain it they both completely understand the notion but to articulate it is quite difficult and I completely agree with everything that you just said Mulan having powers really confused me if chi is an idea so my friend was saying to me like you have a really strong chi and I was like but then why can't I run up a wall like I don't understand like the correlation between the powers and the chi I find very very confusing the overall message of the film I found very confused there was a fantastic quote in Salon magazine when they were reviewing this movie they said that the movie is obsessed with the notion of chi but struggled to find its own and I was like yes 100% I'm here for that the phoenix I was really disappointed with as well because it was like okay so you've just omitted a dragon for a phoenix and reading about it it seems to be that the phoenix is more synonymous with Chinese culture and honour than a dragon. But I was in China, I was in Beijing, I was in Shanghai. I didn't see any phoenixes. I only saw dragons. And the bit that I was really confused about, all of these questions that we've had, who's the witch, who's the phoenix, why has Mulan got powers, why the obsession with chi, they seem to all have the same answer. And that's because Walt Disney as a company wanted this movie to appeal more to a Chinese market. They wanted to make this movie for the Chinese people. 
But then that doesn't explain why the original animation is such a success in China. And maybe I'm naive, but we've just sat here talking about how celebrated Mulan is in Shanghai Disneyland and how when she comes out, you can really feel that everyone's excited to see her. And I've, I've had no idea that Chinese people didn't like that animation. As far as I'm aware, they do. I don't know if there's anything culturally inappropriate. I know there are a few few things that aren't accurate. Like for example, they changed the Huns in the new movie because it wasn't the Huns that Mulan fought in the ancient tale. So they've changed that, which is good. But like, I saw hundreds of dragons in China and see any phoenixes. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people say about cultural inaccuracies with the original movie. And I can see why they changed this one and they said that they wanted it to be more respectful to Chinese culture. But what I then didn't understand is why it's still done with, you know, Chinese-American and it's in American English. Like, why not go the whole hog and just release it completely in Mandarin with subtitles? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I completely agree. Like... Yeah, you've just really hit the nail on the head there. I think something else that I wanted to touch upon as well is a major plot hole that I found. And it works in the animation because when you're working within the means of animation, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can have a dragon make breakfast with a bacon smile and eggs for eyes. And that's the difference between Mulan and Ping. Now, in the animated movie, Mulan's face shape changes when she becomes Ping. Her eyebrows are thicker. There are differences between the two. In this movie, you've got this beautiful, dainty, petite Chinese female actress playing Mulan and then playing Ping and looking exactly the same with like a really slender neck. Like, I don't believe for one minute that they know that they they believe that she's a man. I mean, this is another thing that I really took issue with. Are they stupid? Yeah. People in this army, because how could you look at her? And not suspect, like, oh, I was even thinking, like, all they need to do is have one line about, like, you know, teasing her about being like, oh, you look like a girl. Like, just to acknowledge that she does look like a woman. Because, like, how can they not see that? I found that really frustrating. And I know it's a film, and I know you do have to look past some stuff, but I don't know, that, that really bothered me. Yeah, me too. I think, yeah, the only good things that I have to say about this movie that I agree with you that it was visually stunning the landscapes were beautiful I liked the references to the animation although I would have liked more that's genuinely it yeah I two things that I really liked I really liked that Ming-Na Wen the original Mulan had a cameo at the very end really loved that did like the soundtrack as I said and my other favorite thing was the opening title was the storybook castle from Shanghai Disneyland (laughs) I loved that they did that as soon as that happened, I was like, oh my God, I'm actually really going to like this film. And I like the first scene when you see Mulan as a child. But then again, they've changed the grandma and given her a sister. Like mm. maybe that is more, I don't know, but I feel like having the grandma was more of a, I don't know, more culturally representative. But... I agree. I agree. And I know that there are some families that have more than one children, especially nowadays, but most families in China, especially in the past, had one child as well. So giving her a sibling doesn't feel right to me. Uh, yeah, for me, giving her a sister just was a bit pointless. Like, I didn't understand it at all. I feel like it would have been so much more to the story to have kind of like a wise grandmother who could have given her some advice and stuff. I mean, I as much as I love Mushu... Mushu does not have a place in that film. It would have completely changed 
the mm. the film and it would have made it into more of a remake as you say i don't think this can be called a remake i completely agree with you there i think it's a version of it yeah it's a retelling of an ancient chinese story Definitely. and the cynic in me when we talk about this witch character and the sister immediately thinks of the bestel test again if they hadn't had you know if it had been the male hun as the villain and mushu who's a male dragon then who, like, obviously the Bechdel test, just to remind you, we harp on about it all the time, but in order to pass this test, it's a feminist test, it sounds super basic, but you just need two female characters that are named to have a conversation with each other in the movie about something that's not a man, and that means you pass. And there are so many Disney movies that don't pass this, and I don't know that the original Mulan would, because she talks to her grandmother, but it's about the matchmaker, which is getting her a husband. So I feel like that doesn't count. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, you're, you're probably right. That's probably why they changed the character. I think that's why they gave Jasmine a handmaid in the live action, I'm almost certain. 100%. I'm very, very confident about that. Yeah. Okay, so marks out of, should we say 10? Ooh, I would give it... I preferred it to the live action Lion King. Okay, what would you give that? I would give that like a three. Okay. And that, I thought, that's a bit jam. I'd give it a two. I would give Mulan, for me, I'd give it a 5.5. Wow, I think that's generous. What would you give it? Well, it's difficult because now I'm thinking about Lion King. I probably enjoyed Lion King more because although the animation and everything's corny and I feel that it's a really unnecessary movie, I love the music and everything. So probably enjoyed it more. I probably would give the Lion King a three and give this a two. Wow. I honestly was so bored. Yeah, I mean I I think it's not a film for everyone. Yeah, me too. I think it's a film for no one. (laughs) So there we have it. That's our thoughts on Mulan. Please do get in touch and let us know what you thought. I'm very, very keen. I haven't actually read a lot of reviews, so I'm very keen to see what other people thought of it. Absolutely. Remember, you can always send us a tweet at ChatDisneyUK. Or find us on Instagram at ChatDisney. So next week. Ooh, next week. Of course, I don't even believe we're saying this. It doesn't seem possible, but it is that time of year again. It is so close to Christmas that next week we will be bringing you our Christmas extravaganza Disney special for 2020. Very exciting. And we're going to be doing a big Disney Christmas quiz. So Tash and I will be challenging each other with some Disney Christmas. Christmas questions so do play along at home and if you've got any Disney Christmas questions for Tasha and I please feel free to send them through you can contact us on social as we said or you can always drop us an email our email address is chatdisneyuk at gmail.com absolutely and please do get in touch with us as well and let us know how you incorporate Disney into your Christmas as well because we will of course be touching upon that next week as well Definitely. And we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.